Welcome to First Importance, featuring the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist West Memphis. We're so happy you've chosen to listen, and we pray that you'll be blessed by this message. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to join me in Psalm chapter 100, where we began our service this morning. And I want to share with you Uh, Some of you may not have heard this story before. I want to share with you the story of the Monday that changed everything. The Monday that changed everything. If you will remember about a year ago, uh, we were preparing on this day to have our first ever FBC drives in on the following day. And the weeks that led up were peculiar. I mean, if you were to go back in time, remember uh, a time when no one was ever concerned about the amount of toilet paper that was in stock. And no one, uh, if you walked into a store with a mask on, you would have probably uh, been arrested or there would have been great suspicion. Uh, But we were in a completely different time. And as we approached uh, the Sunday before the drive-in, I met with the deacons, and we were trying to process the information that had been given us, and so we made a few modifications to that Sunday, and then came Monday. When we began Monday, we were told by the governor of the state of Arkansas that we needed to limit crowd sizes to groups of no more than over 50. And so I went into full Josh mode, full Josh mode. I mean, uh, I began to uh, formulate and to plan, and and uh, I remember meeting up in uh, in the parlor and in Lear Hall and in orchestrating how we're going to be able to fit 50 people in the sanctuary and 50 people in Lear Hall and then 50 people in uh, in the parlor and all across the campus. We were planning that out, and I was like, okay. Hey, we're going to do this. This is a challenge, but we're going to make it happen. And then maybe about 1 or 2 o'clock that afternoon, the president came on uh, on the TV and said, "No groups of no more than 10. Groups of no more than 10. And I'm going to share with you uh, the faithlessness of your pastor because I heard him say that, and I walked back to my office, and I sat down in my chair behind my desk, and I felt as if I fell straight through that chair, down through the foundation of the Spears building and into the gumbo, and my heart just sank. And I remember thinking this, this is a terrible thing. I want you to know, as your pastor own up, I am completely human, my flesh got a hold of me. I remember thinking in my flesh, here I am, uh, a young pastor who's come on to the greatest church in uh, the United States. Uh, I come on to be uh, their pastor, and they're about to find out what a big mistake they made. And I remember thinking to myself, the, the greatest fleshly fear that I had was, all right, Josh, you you are about to destroy this church. I sunk down and prayed, and Sarah came up here and picked up the kids from daycare, 
she saw the look in my eyes, and I said, I can't come home right now. I need to, I need to pray over this some more. Went back in my office again, and I just prayed, and I prayed, and I cried, and I cried, and I said, Lord, you know, uh, uh, this is what's going on in my heart. Would you please take care of your church? I don't know uh, what to do. We don't, I don't have the ability. I've been in full Josh mode for the last several hours. I've not figured it out. Lord, would you please do something? Would you please take care of us? And I waited. And I waited. I couldn't figure out anything, and I didn't hear, didn't feel like I heard a, just a word from the Lord on the direction, and so I packed up my things, and I drove home, and cried the whole way there, and prayed the whole way there. And when I pulled in the driveway, I took a few extra moments to try to make sure that when I walked in that house, I could give my wife and my children my best. I could somehow wipe away the redness from my eyes and the tenderness from my cheeks from the tears that had been pouring down. I don't hide those things well anyways, and you know that. And I walked into the door, and I came into the kitchen, and Sarah said, Josh, I, I've been thinking about this, and I've got two ideas and I was thinking, oh, okay, all right, well, you know, what are they? Again, here's Josh and his flesh. And Sarah said, well, uh, what do you think about drive-in? And I said, well, I don't need to hear any other ideas. That's all we need to hear. That's all that we can, we can, we can go with that. We can move with that. And over a week, or about a week later, we met for the first time on this parking lot. And now, a year from that moment, a year from that time of faithlessness in my heart, I've seen how God has provided for his people, how God has provided for his church, and how we have a faithful God. And so I want to today share with you three lessons that I learned about God's faithfulness, three lessons that I learned in the year 2020 in a message that I have entitled, Hindsight is 2020. Hindsight is 2020. If you have your Bible, Psalm chapter 100, hear now the word of the Lord. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is he is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And His faithfulness. And his faithfulness to all generations. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we desire a word from you today. So I pray that you would speak to this very weak preacher the power of your gospel. It's in the name of Jesus I pray these things. Amen. I want to speak to you today on the faithfulness of God and to use Psalm chapter 100 to take a more broad look at the faithfulness of God. I want to talk to you about what we learned this year. Of course, 
what I'm going to tell you right now, these are things that we already knew in our head, but we really didn't know them. Almost like a, a teenager whose parents are trying to keep them from making the same mistakes that they did and trying to impart wisdom to them. And they know it right here, but there's a lot of times it's experience that teaches you the greatest lessons. As a matter of fact, it was Albert Einstein, that great genius, who said the only source of knowledge is experience. And so what I want to do is to tell you three things that I learned about God's faithfulness this year, and I want to tell you it from Scripture and to, to give us a reason uh, to take these lessons that we've learned and to apply them to today and to apply them to what we don't know what is going to happen tomorrow. Number one, if you're taking notes, I want you to know this lesson that I learned this year that I knew but I didn't quite really know, and that is this. God is faithful to his people. Give me an amen. God, God is faithful to his people. Now let me tell you what this doesn't mean. When I say that God is faithful, it does not mean that he is the most faithful. That's not what I mean. I'm not saying that we're all in some type of competition in this world to see who can be the most faithful and that there are some who have fallen short right after the starting line of faithfulness and there are some who've made it a quarter of a mile or a mile and that God is just miles ahead. That's not what the Bible teaches about God's faithfulness. It's not that God is just the most faithful. When I say that God is faithful, when the Scripture teaches us that God is faithful, what the Scripture teaches us is this. It's not that He is the most faithful. It's that He is the only faithful. He is the only one that is faithful. There is none other that even compared to Him. All of our efforts fall completely short Faithfulness is not just a, merely a characteristic of his personality. Faithfulness is at the very heart of who God is. It carries with it the very infinite, eternal nature that he has. His faithfulness is as eternal as he is. And his faithfulness is as powerful as he is. Think about this. If his faithfulness were anything less than that, you would have used it up a long time ago. But when I say that God is faithful to his people, I mean that he is the only faithful one. He is reliable. When you look at the Greek and Hebrew words that are translated into faithful, when you read and study these words, here are the words that come to mind. Number one, reliable. Our God is reliable to his people. He is trustworthy he is someone in whom we can place all of our trust. And yet, all across this parking lot, there are people who say we've placed our trust in him, but really we've only placed a little bit of that trust in him. We we'll trust him for certain things when it comes to our life, but when it comes to difficulties, we just don't find him to be all that trustworthy. Although experience and time and scripture teach us that he is the only trustworthy one. The Hebrew word that's most often translated faithful, when you read that word, the word that comes to mind most is constant. Constant or firm. 
It means that he is unchanging. God is, in not, is not in need of changing. He's not in need of new knowledge to, to figure out things so that he can be better. Our God uh, is the great I am. That is our God. He is not in need of changing. He is able to be faithful because he is who he is. And who he is is more than enough. Malachi 3, 6 the Lord says, for I am the Lord and I do not change. And I want you to understand this. In a world of uncertainty, God is certain. In a world of doubt, our God is trustworthy. And he is faithful to his people. That's right. The God who, Acts 17, will read, this, this God that we have who does not live in temples uh, made by human hands, nor is he served with human hands as though he needs anything. He himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. The same God who is fully satisfied in and of himself and needs nothing for his joy or his existence. That God in heaven is faithful to his people. He's faithful even when we are unfaithful. He is faithful. He can be relied upon. He can be counted upon for his people. We can rely upon him. The entirety of Scripture stands as testimony and illustration of God's faithfulness. In Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 9, we're taught this. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. In Hosea chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, God says this to his people. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to bells and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws and bent down to them and fed them. I want you to know something, friends. God is faithful to his people. And when we, are, when we lack the faith the most, when we lack the faithfulness the most to him is when he displays his faithfulness the most to us. While he's a holy God in heaven, he deserves our worship, our complete fidelity, our complete faithfulness without any reservations. And the fact that he is patient with us and doesn't immediately uh, bring us down to the, the depths of hell immediately when we sin is a sign of God's faithfulness to his people. It's a sign of his patience. Friends, I want you to know this, a lesson I've learned this year that I knew, but I didn't quite really know that God is faithful to his people. It's infinite. We've learned this year, this year. We've seen his provision in our lives as we've lost loved ones. We've felt his presence when we've gone through difficult times. And he is true to be faithful to his people. Think about that. 
God is faithful to his people. But secondly, I want you to learn a lesson that I've learned this year that I knew, but I didn't quite I didn't quite know to the same extent that I know today, and that is that God is faithful to his promises. You see, God is faithful to his people because God is faithful to his promises. We learned this year that God is faithful to his promises. You know, we're not good for our word. Our reliability is shaky at best. Number uh, of relationships right now are at, a, at an all-time high, but commitment is at an all-time low. There's very little follow-through. It's hard to find someone who's good for their word today. And even those who seek to be good uh, to their word uh, do not, are not really able to follow through all the time or as much as they would even like. They're not able to follow through in the same respect that God is, that's for sure. But the Scripture teaches us this of our God, that He is faithful to His promises. When God says He's going to do something, it's done. You can count on it. You can take it to the bank. As we learned last week, one of His great promises, I will build my church. We learned last week what we've been learning all this year, that God is faithful to His promises. When he says he will do it, he's going to do it. And when he has promised you something in Scripture, and by the way, friends, one of the many important reasons to study Scripture and to meditate upon it day and night is to take those beautiful promises in there and put them in your pocket so when you're going through difficult times, you can cling to those promises because nothing is certain in this life. Politics is not certain. Government isn't certain. Nations rise and fall. Your health isn't certain. Your wealth isn't certain. There's nothing certain in this life but His Word. So reach into that Scripture. Take out those words. Take out those promises and place them in your pocket for those hard times and then hold on to them when it's hard to believe and hold on to them when you're going through difficulties and understand this. God is faithful to His promises. The psalmist will say it like this in Psalm 138 in verse 2. He says, I bow down to your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. This book right here, this scripture that we study, this infallible, inerrant book without errors, without anything that can, can lead us astray, that's profitable to teach us, to guide us. This is God's own holy word, and we are to hold on to it. Matthew, Matthew records of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 in verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. We learned this last week again, but I think of it this week. When people tell you, uh, haven't things just continued to go the same as they've always been? Where is the promise of his return? Jesus prophesied that, but I want you to be sure of this thing. What God has promised, he will fulfill, and he's the only one who can fulfill what he promises Numbers 23 and verse 19, Moses reminds us that God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and he will not do it 
or has he spoken and he will not fulfill it? If God says it, he's going to do it. And then Joshua, at the end of his life, after seeing the conquest of the promised land and learning at the feet of Moses, having seen the Red Sea part and having seen the sun stand still, after seeing God's faithfulness, he says in chapter 21 and verse 45, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord has made to the house of Israel has failed. All came to pass. And in chapter 23 and verse 14, as he's taking his last breaths, he says, and now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your heart and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God has promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. And Paul in the New Testament will say it like this to believers in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So no matter what happens in your life, no matter what difficulties you face, you can take that promise that God's working on me and God's going to complete what he started and God's not going to give up on his project. You know, our, our sanctification, our lives are kind of like I-40 and I-55. God's always working on them. They're always under construction. What God has promised he will fulfill. And as I reflect on this year, the things that we've gone through, I'm reminded, I thought I knew it. We thought we knew it. But now I feel like we know it in a way that we didn't know before. We understand it in a way more clearly that God is faithful to his promises. You know, last year we had one of the best giving years at our church in a long time, we saw God's faithfulness in the, in the midst of these difficulties, and we weren't even able to pass the plate. And yet God provided for his church through his people. This ain't our church. This is his church, and he'll take care of it. But I want you to see, not only did I learn that God is faithful to his people, and not only is God faithful to his promise. But finally, and most importantly, I want you to see that God is faithful to his purpose. Above all, this past year, I learned that God is faithful to his own purposes, his own desires. You see, we were ready. We were ready to serve a God of plenty, but we weren't ready to serve a God of pandemic. We were ready to serve a God of quality in our lives, but not a God of quarantine, a God of health, but not of sickness, a God of wealth, but not of poverty. But I want you to know that God's world doesn't revolve around you and it doesn't revolve around me. He doesn't consult us with those things and why should he? We're unreliable. We don't have the wisdom that he does. When I say that God is faithful to his people, and when I say that God is faithful to his promises, I don't mean that he's predictable. I don't mean that he's going to do what, like, what you like and what feels good to you because sometimes his plan is really, really painful for us. But it's good for us because it draws us closer to him and helps us to lean upon him. The trials that we go through in life 
are not for no purpose at all, but to accomplish his purpose so that we'll take our eyes off the things of this world and we'll place our eyes on him. You know, I've always uh, had a fascination in praying for and learning more about the persecuted church across the world. Our brothers and sisters in China, our brothers and sisters in India who are being dragged out of their buildings and out of their worship services and are being beaten in the street. And I think of their persecution. And I think of the things that have, that are, have even begun to make its way into our continent. Think about the, the ways that persecution will come. And while we want to pray to God that he'll take care of us, don't ever pray that he, will, that he will stop his plan. We desire those things to happen. I was talking with my good friend Rick Couples across the street at Couples Bible Bookshop. If you uh, buy your books from Amazon, uh, you, need to, you need to leave Amazon. You need to come over to Mr. Rick Couples because just sitting down and talking with him is worth, the, is worth going over there. A godly man. And Mr. Rick Couples told me this. He said, Josh, you know there is, there is not just the persecution that they go through over there, but there's also the persecution of plenty. I said, what do you mean? He said, there's the persecution of plenty. You see, in America, we've had everything at our fingertips, all the resources that we could possibly have. You woke up this morning, you took a hot shower, you had a, the meal of your choice, and if you didn't have it at home, you drove through somewhere. You had the right clothes, you have the TV, you have the internet connection, you have your phone, you have all of it. And we tend to look at, the, at these things as blessings, and indeed they are in many respects, but in some ways they are also a form of persecution. That is, the enemy uses those things to take our eyes off of Jesus, and we say, oh, we don't need him. We got plenty of money in the, in the bank account. And oh, we don't need him. We got health. And oh, we don't need him. We got everything we need. Whereas our brothers and sisters who don't have all the physical blessings are keeping their eyes set on Jesus. Brothers and sisters, when I tell you that God is faithful to his people, and when I say that he is faithful to his promises, I mean most of all that God is faithful to his purposes. What his desire is in this world, what his desire is in bringing his glory and bringing people to his name, that is what God is committed to the most. Isaiah 46 and verses 8 through 10, we are reminded of how God is faithful to his purpose. Remember this, he says, and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. My glory, he says, I will not give to another. Above all, this year, I've learned that God is faithful to his purposes. You know, when I think about the lessons that I learned this year, I think what a shame it would be if we've learned all these lessons and we don't apply them and we don't use them. You see, if God is faithful to his people, and if he is faithful to his promises, and he is faithful to his purpose yesterday and today, I can be sure 
that he's going to be faithful with things I don't know that are going to happen tomorrow. I know that he can be faithful with the things that I have not yet seen. I don't have to live in fear. I don't have to have anxiety. I don't have to live and worry. I can hand them over to him because God is faithful. And when I understand that he's faithful to his purposes, and when I'm committed to him, I say, Lord, do whatever it is. Do whatever it is you want to do. If, you're, if your desire is to bring America to its knees so that it will gaze upon you and stop indulging in itself, then Lord, do that. We are Americans, uh, we are Americans yes, but we are Christians first. We are followers of Jesus first. We belong to a country that will never end, and we serve a king who is never off of his throne. And brothers and sisters... Our desire ought to be, Lord, we've trusted you with our yesterday because you're faithful. We've trusted you with today because you've proven your faithfulness. And tomorrow, regardless of what happens, I place my faith in the faithful God who's going to accomplish his purposes. And you know, as we meet like this, I would love to tell you that in the next few months, everything will be back to the way that it was even though I'm not sure that we should ever go back to the way that things were. You don't learn lessons when you go right back to the way things were. I'd love to tell you that that's the way it's going to be and that there will never be pandemics again and there will never be economic downfalls. But brother, brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, the Scripture records there's coming a day that's going to be a lot more painful and a lot more difficult than the days that we've endured. And if you've not learned this lesson this year, and if you've not held on to Scripture, and if you're not loving Him and His Word and committing yourself to the faithful God, then the lessons you've learned this year are of no use. Archibald McLeish says this, there's only, thing one, there's only one thing more painful than learning from experience, and that is not learning from experience. So brothers and sisters, this year, as we, as we have learned, as we have looked back in the rearview mirror and seen that God is faithful to his people and he's faithful to his promises, and he's faithful to his purposes. Let us march forward with confidence to the days and months to come and place our trust and our hope in the only one who is faithful. That is our Jesus. In a few moments, I'm going to pray. And because our time today is different as we celebrate, because our time is different, if you're here today or if you're watching online, and you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you've gone through this whole year in this valley and difficult times of life all alone, I want you to know there's one who loves you, and there's one who's given himself for you. He's paid your debt that you owe to sin by dying on the cross, that gruesome death. That holy one and only Son of God, Jesus Christ, died on a cross for you, was placed in a tomb, but three days later he rose again and promises eternal life to you and promises provision for you and promises protection and life for you in his name if you will repent of your sins and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. If today you're watching or you're here and you've never made that decision to give your life to Jesus, we have someone on standby at our phones please call the following number, 1-870-735-5241.
or if you have any other commitment that you need to make today or you want to pray with a counselor, please call our church number at 1-870-735-5241. Allow us to pray for you and allow us to help guide you the way the Lord has guided us. I want to thank you so much for being here today. After I pray, you will be dismissed. Give us just a little bit of time up here to move this equipment so that it is, uh, so that you don't knock that over. And also at the exits, our men are standing by with five-gallon buckets to receive any offering you've come prepared to give. Thank you so much for coming today, and I want you to remember we serve a faithful God. Let me pray for us, and then hey, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're, when I say amen, I want the loudest honk one last time together. When I say amen, the loudest honk, and then you will be uh, sent out for today to live and to, and to place your trust continually in our faithful God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your love for us. I pray that today you bless us. I pray that today you draw us closer to you. And Lord, I pray that you've been honored in everything that's said and done here today. It's in the name of Jesus, the mighty name of Jesus, I pray this. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of First Importance. We invite you to check out our other sermons on this podcast and to join us in person on Sundays at 8.30 or 10.45 a.m., as well as streaming live on Sunday mornings at 10.45. We hope to see you soon at First Baptist West Memphis, where we love God, care for one another, and share the gospel.